This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Estelle Perron, welcome to Hidden Histories. We are stood at the foot of Westminster Abbey, um, looking over the courtyard, uh, Dean's Yard, and there's part of the original old palace to the left and the sun's sort of setting. It's a quite chilly November evening. It's quite atmospheric. And we're going to talk about um, your favourite monarch in history. You are an expert on Elizabeth I and why Westminster Abbey was so important to her throughout her reign and also after her death. Well, thank you first for having me. Uh, yes, yes, Westminster Abbey was actually very important to Elizabeth. And I think in a way, much more, she was crowned there in 1559. So that's a big thing already. But also she was buried here. But what's more important as well is that it's a place very important for the relationship between Elizabeth I and Mary, not during their lifetime, but after their death, which I think is a fabulous history. So as we know, like um, Elizabeth died on 24th March 1603 at Richmond Palace, and it was a universal mourning. Like people mourned her death; they were really sad about it. It was the end of an era being ruled by such a powerful woman and a king was about you know to rule over England James VI of Scotland who was going to become James I of England and what's very interesting is that she was buried as I said in Westminster Abbey and she was actually uh, led with the within the wooden coffin and first buried in the vault of her grandfather King Henry VII James at the first did not attend the ceremony. He chose not to. What's very interesting as well is that, so she, you have to imagine, um, and I don't know if you've been to Westminster Abbey, so now she's in a different place, obviously. Okay, because it is like, for anybody who hasn't been there, Westminster Abbey houses monarchs all through the centuries. It really is. It's, it's, somewhere, it's somewhere worth going in itself just to see the incredible two monuments that are already there. Um, you know, they pan all the way back from Edward I, all the way through to Edward III, Richard II, they go to Elizabeth um, and beyond. 
Yes, exactly. And uh, James I erected um, a large, wide marble monument to Elizabeth in the north aisle of Henry VII's chapel. But then some change is going to happen, right? And I think it's important to say um, that so she, she had a place next to her grandfather. So we have the first Tudor monarch resting next to the last Tudor monarch. And I think it's quite very important here. I, th I thought it was like um, very symbolic. But James was not a Tudor. And what he's about to do is that in 1606, so three years after Elizabeth's first death, he transferred the Queen's coffin to a vault below the new monument and placed on top of the coffin a half-sister Mary. So he created a new monument for the two Tudor queens who actually ruled England for half a century. And I want you to remember that because... In a way, he changed the perception of monarchy and he's not just going to stop there. What he's going to do is that he's going to put his mother, Mary Stuart, next to Henry VII. He's going to build a massive monument for her. And so if you go to Westminster Abbey, you have on the right aisle Henry VII, Mary I. And actually, Mary I is next to also um, Margaret Beaufort, so Henry VII's mother. And then on the north aisle and left-hand corner kind of thing, we have the two sisters, we have the two Tudor queens. OK, so let's backtrack a bit. So Elizabeth and Mary, there is a lot of controversy around their relationship and a lot of research around their relationship. I mean, they were, they were rivals, um, in many ways, um, but they were also cousins. You know, they were writing to each other. They were familiar with each other. Let's go back a little bit onto what their relationship was and why this move that was implicated by James VI, why that was so, so, so massive, why that had such an impact. So you're right. So Mary and Elizabeth were rivals. However, I don't really see them as rivals, and I'm going to explain that. I think that there's a shift. I think that... When Mary fled to England in 1568, she's no longer queen of Scotland. She's no longer a queen. She cannot be the equal of Elizabeth I. So for me, there's no rivalry here. We have a prisoner and we have a queen on the throne. And though Mary didn't recognize Elizabeth's authority over her, ultimately, I'm sorry to say that, but Elizabeth had authority over Mary because eventually after years and years and years of conspiracies after two decades of conspiracies almost Elizabeth chose to execute Mary Stuart and I'm saying Mary Stuart because at that time she's as I said she's no longer Queen of Scots that's one thing now as you said why Westminster Abbey is so important for these two queens it's very important because one queen who actually ruled over England is put aside to have a bigger monument erected for her cousin, who was actually Queen of Scotland and Queen of France, but never Queen of England. She's never been crowned Queen of England. And now she's in Westminster Abbey in a big monument as a symbol of legitimacy for James. 
So James VI was, he was king of Scotland, and then he came down to succeed Elizabeth and became James I, therefore beginning the Stuart dynasty. Exactly. Yeah. So how did he implement this massive move? He had to legitimate his rule. Of course he had right to the throne. The Stuarts also, like, come from the Tudors, ultimately. But the way he decided to do it was in... So, in 1612, he decided to take his mother's body or what was left of of that from Petersborough, and we'll discuss that a bit later, to Peterborough Cathedral, and to take it, like, in Westminster Abbey. As I said, he erected this massive monument about her and for her. And you can read... A transcription on this monument that is obviously in Latin, but we have a translation. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so, to God, the best and greatest, to her good memory and in internal hope, Mary Stuart, Queen of Scots, Dowager Queen of France, daughter of James V of Scotland, sole heir and great granddaughter of Henry VII, King of England, through his elder daughter Margaret, wife of Francis II, King of France. Sure and certain heiress to the crown of England while she lived. Mother of James, most prison sovereign of Great Britain. That's a bit of propaganda, isn't it? It is propaganda. So he chose that. What is very interesting, James did not lift a finger to save his mother. James wanted his mother for years to recognise him as the true king of scotland and she refused for years even if she was in prison in england she was still debating the fact that she should be queen of scotland she still wanted her crown her throne back in a way she was a pain in the ass for james as much as she was for elizabeth when elizabeth decided to execute mary she wrote a letter to james apologizing oh my god i am so sorry don't believe, like, it, it, it was not really my intention. She was really trying to make excuses. Our letter is actually really great. He replied that he understood, that he forgave her. But when he became, you know, king of, of England, it was no longer a question of was Meritrit, like, the real heir to the English throne. It was more like, how am I going to legitimate myself as the true heir to England, the rightful one, the more powerful one? And I'm going to show you that through my mum. I have the two houses, the Tudors, the Stuarts. I also have connections with France because she had a huge impact on France and she was a Guises. And I always say that Mary Stuart is actually much more of a Guise than she is a Stuart. So all of this was, as you said, Helen, propaganda to really legitimate his rulership over England. Because that might, there must have been an extraordinary amount of responsibility on James's shoulders. I mean, he must have been up against, he must have been, there must have been opposition to his rule of England having come from Scotland. I mean, this was beginning a new dynasty. How did people respond to the change? Well, actually, he was really well welcomed because people felt they were tired of being ruled by a woman. So they were very pleased that it was a man who was coming, you know, to the throne of England. However, you're right, he was still Scottish, but he agreed to come to London. He agreed to rule Scotland from London. It all started, you know, like <laughs> London taking England, also like taking over, you know, their relationship with Scotland was at that time as well, when he chose to rule from London. But also he was a Protestant king and Elizabeth was... And even despite the fact 
that if you look at Jesse Charles' book on God Straiters, I believe that if you compare it to what was happening in Europe, Elizabeth was still relatively tolerant. And I believe that if you look at the works of Michael Cassier on Catholicism in early modern England, you see that there are lots of communities that accepted Elizabeth's rule. Okay, so it's so when people like to see Elizabeth as someone very anti-Catholic and and not tolerant enough, I'm like, when we really look at the evidence, I'm not really sure. And if we compare with Europe, other monarchs, I'm not really sure that is the that is truth here. So, but but James was, um, you know, there's a, we're tonight with the fifth of November. We're recording tonight, and it's a gunpowder plot as well. And we're like a, a few feet away from the parliament as well, right? And it's it, and it is quite amazing because it happened because people thought he was too anti-Catholic. So we had part of a population that felt that Elizabeth was not tolerant enough, but James was far worse than Elizabeth was towards the Catholics. So that's like the, the, so he was when I say he was welcome because he was a man, yes, but the Catholic community feared James I of England and what was going to be his policies against Catholicism. So just before um, James came down from Scotland, just before he succeeded the throne, Elizabeth died. She died in Richmond? Yes, yeah. she died in Richmond on 24th March 1603. Her body lay at Richmond for a few days and then it was brought by barge to Whitehall Palace. Thousands of people turned out to see her funeral procession to the Abbey on the 20th April 1603. And there was lots of weeping. It's recorded in chronicles that people were weeping, grieving for their lost queen. I think, you know, yes, she was, obviously she was a woman, but this idea that she was really much the mother of her country, if you look at that image that she created during her reign, this is probably how the people of London felt. They lost their English mother, they lost their queen, and the country was about to be taken over by a foreign king. You know what I mean? So it's a bit like, oh, okay, he's not really English, really. <laughs> he's got Scottish, he's a bit French as well. So, and he's obviously, you know, half English, but he's not fully English like Elizabeth was. And she repeated that in all of, like, not in all, but in most of her speeches when she says, I was born in this realm. Give me another king or queen. You know, my, both of my parents were English. So when she did that, she differentiated herself from Mary Tudor, Mary I, who was half Spanish, half English. But she also created this feeling of belonging to a country and being the mother of this country. And I would argue, in my research, I argue that she's mother and father because she's queen and king of England. So she was really publicly mourned in, in London, in England. But, you know, Mary, Mary had died previously at, uh, at the agreement of Elizabeth. But how, and she was a queen in her own right as well. How, how was her death received by the public? That's a very interesting question because, like, so she, she died on 8 February 1587. And I would like to point out a few things before talking about that. First of all, on 19th December 1586, Mary wrote a letter to Elizabeth she knew that she was going to be executed, so she had one request. She wanted to be buried in holy ground in France. She didn't want to be buried in England. Elizabeth refused that request, and 
The English, like, I mean, it depends, like, in a way, because she was executed far away from London. There was no real impact on her death. I mean, from the English people, probably the Catholic communities, yes, but not from the, like, in the north of England, but not from the Londoners, for example. However, her death had a huge impact in France. There was a, a procession, there was a ceremony in France uh, at her death on the 13th, if I'm not correct, 13th or 14th, I think it's 13th March, uh, um, 1587. And there was like a huge procession and Paris was mourning. You know, she, she, she used to be Queen of France. So they lost one of their queens and they remembered her. And so there was like, in a way, for Elizabeth, we have like mourning from Londoners and for Mary Stuart we have mourning from Parisians. I don't really know how her death was received in Scotland as I said because in a way she was such a pain in the ass for James that I mean I'm and he didn't know her. I mean honestly like she left he was one years old like, he didn't know his mother so how much do you, can you really grieve for someone you've never met? Yeah that's a really that's a really interesting point actually the fact that he he never knew her. Okay, so so are they are they actually buried next to each other? Elizabeth and so it, there's one like monument for Mary with with Henry the Seventh not far. Well, Mary Great Balfour. You have Henry the Seventh in the middle, Mary and Margaret. So the two, you know, were the two queens who gave birth, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you Elizabeth. have Mary and Elizabeth who didn't give birth. Let me say that. Right, okay. I think yeah. it's quite it's quite it's quite ooh, it's quite it's quite important. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. So when you walk into Westminster Abbey with all of this in mind and you know the, the, the context of the burials, what really stands out for you? 
Well, for me, what stands out is that you have... So you have Henry VII in the middle. On the side, on one side, you have Margaret Balfour, so his mother, and you have Mary Stuart, James I's mother. The two women who gave birth to two dynasties all together. On the other side, you have Mary I and Elizabeth I, who didn't give birth to anyone, who didn't pursue continue the dynasty in so many ways i feel a bit enraged about that for several reasons the first one is are we celebrating queenship through motherhood are we celebrating queenship through political agency through actually ruling a country mary Stuart has a place in westminster abbey she never ruled over england she didn't even want to be buried here She's in a Protestant country when she is a Catholic. And so I feel a bit, in a way, enraged because it really shows that when you give birth to a son, when you give birth to a dynasty, you're still praised after your death. And when you don't, you have kind of like, a, a, you know, a, the monument for, for Elizabeth and Mary is really not big. It's, it's quite okay. I mean, it's not, you're not really impressed by it. But the monument for, for Mary Stuart is massive. Again, for a queen who never ruled over England. You see what I mean? Like it's but for the purposes of a man who did. Exactly. For the purposes to establish a legitimate dynasty that is the Stuart. For purposes like that you're a good queen. You're a good woman if you're a good mother. And that is a bit problematic for me. So, the ultimate question. Elizabeth and Mary's relationship in life... What was that like in comparison to their relationship in death? It's a, it's a complicated question because what happened is that Elizabeth tried to give advice to Mary. We have two different women. We have Mary Stuart, who was Queen of Scotland, like, after, like, I think her, her father died, like, six days or eight days after, you know, uh, she was born. And... She was sent to France before her sixth birthday. She was a center of attention. She was praised for her beauty. She was praised for her Catholicism. She was the like you know she she was the perfect princess, the one you wanted to marry. Elizabeth was declared bastard at the age of three. Was sexually abused by Thomas Seymour at thirteen. Was sent at the Tower during her th- sister's reign. And then, out of, like, you know, a big surprise for everyone, she became Queen of England. And so we have two different fates. We have two different women with one who felt, Mary, very much entitled, very much already in power. I mean, she, she received an education in France. She was at the French court. She was Queen of France. And then her husband died, Francis II died in December 1560. She was sent back to Scotland a few months after that. It was a bit of a shock for her because there were two different courts in France and Scotland. And Elizabeth is going to advise her. Mary's never going to listen. Mary is even going to decide to get married to uh, Henry Darnley, a cousin of Elizabeth and herself, to strengthen her claim to the throne of England. Pissing off! Elizabeth massively because Henry Darnley is an English subject they didn't ask for her permission and it it's not acceptable 
So their relationship has always been uneven. It's always been unequal because Mary had much more power, had much more network than Elizabeth. But Elizabeth had much more, how can I put it? I want to say intelligence, really. Uh, she knew how to play the political games. She was smarter in her choices than Mary. And Mary's just going to make different mistakes. And when Henry uh, Darnley died, it, it was a bit suspicious, anyway. Uh, Elizabeth wrote to Mary and said, you really have to distance yourself from anyone involved in your late husband's death. And Mary... She was probably forced, I believe that. She was forced to marry uh, Earl Bothwell. But regardless, I mean, she, she never played this kind of sisterhood. I really believe that if Mary had acknowledged Elizabeth's legitimacy to the English throne, we would have had a different dynamic between the two queens and two most powerful queens in Europe, with Catherine of Medici in France, so three very powerful queens in Europe. And we would have had that with a dynamic of sisterhood and helping one another instead of trying to destroy one another. And Mary Stuart tried all her life to get her hands on the English throne. And she tried all her life to destroy Elizabeth. Okay, so what about in, in death? So what does this monument really tell us about their relationship? This, this monument, basically the fact that Mary has a bigger monument, the fact that Mary... Um, I mean, um, that Elizabeth was moved, basically. You know, she was moved to be with her uh, sister, Mary I of England. Um, it shows that, in a way, it's going to hurt me to say that, but uh, Mary Stuart won because she's the grandmother of England. She's the grandmother of English kings and queens. She is the one who makes sure that the dynasty and the monarchy survived. Elizabeth didn't, unfortunately. She chose, in a way, you know, when people say that Mary Stuart was like, um, she had her own heart and she, 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 she followed it and she was the real woman. I believe that Elizabeth said, actually she said it, she will, she will always be uh, own free woman. Elizabeth chose herself before choosing her dynasty. And I think in a way it's, uh, it's, it's very modern. You know, you choose yourself before choosing your duties. And, uh, but Mary, yeah, in a way, it, it shows that she won in terms of like being remembered in such a bigger monument. Well, she's never ruled England. It's quite, it's quite amazing. So that's an incentive to go to Westminster Abbey and go and show Elizabeth some of the respect that she, she deserves as the ruler and queen of England. Elizabeth really loved her people, really loved her country. And I can't really say that for, for Mary and Scotland. So I think that it's something also to remember. Shall we always be remembered for, through motherhood or shall we be remembered also for the person we are? And I think we have to remember Elizabeth for who she was, the greatest queen, monarch of England. I wouldn't even want to say of the world, but, you know, it's me. <laughs> Still, where can everyone find you? What are you working on at the moment? So I just finished uh, my first monograph on Elizabeth I uh, through Valois Eyes. Valois is the French dynasty, at the same time as the Tudors. 
Uh, and I look at how the French, so the French ambassadors and the French rulers, so Charles IX, Henry III and Catherine of Medici, viewed Elizabeth. What were their relationship with her? So that's my first monograph. And yes, I'm also a lecturer in history. So I'm allowed to teach. So I teach at New College of the Humanities. And this is where you can find me if you need anything. And where are you on Twitter? Dr. Estelle Paronk or on Instagram as well. It's Dr. Estelle Paronk. So I'm very, I'm very easy. You know. So any, any positive praise of Elizabeth, look for Estelle. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and we really look forward to having you back. Thank you so much, Helen. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.